0: to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Yucca. And I'm Mark. And today we're talking about the senses, but the other senses in our practices. So the ones like smell and taste and touch that sometimes we can forget about.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, humans are very visually oriented and they're very sound oriented. That that tends to be the senses that we lead with those of us who have those senses. Mm -hmm. And so our orientation towards what we do in ritual, what we do in our practices, all that kind of thing will often kind of lean into those senses, because that's what we're used to leading with. But the other senses are also very compelling, very compelling, and can be powerful instruments in changing our consciousness and influencing the effectiveness of our ritual practices. So today we're talking about that.
0: That's right. And before we go much further, we should say that, yes, there are other senses, um, we're talking yes. about the the classical senses, which I think are are useful because they are senses that one we have a specific organ which is dedicated to that sense, and mm-hmm. it's also about our interaction with the outside world, where we do have other senses like proprioception or things like that. But that's it. Um, those are a little bit less. Obvious. Now, not that they aren't important and that you couldn't bring awareness of that into your practice, but for now, we're just going to be talking about those three in the more classical sense.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could I mean we could certainly dive into other things but I think you know that'll that'll certainly take up our time. So which
0: is a fun rabbit hole if you're looking for a research rabbit hole to go down is how do we define senses and all of that stuff is delightful. Sure. sure. Um, now, let's start with with smell. Right? Okay. I think that's a good place to start.
1: Smell is a particularly powerful emotionally evocative sense. Our olfactory receptors are hooked pretty deep in our brains. You know, when you think back to, I mean, really back to our earliest ancestors, the single-celled organisms, they were able to detect the chemical nature of what surrounded them and move away from what was harmful, move towards what might be food. That is, in essence, smell. Right. That so that that sense has been coded into us from the very beginning. And in fact, we've lost a lot of what we used to have in the way of smell, in in the way of of the olfactory sense. Mm. But it's still very powerful for us. And it's very influential over our mood.
0: It is. And it's one of those that is often hanging out in the background that we're really not conscious of. Sometimes if there is a strong, potent smell, but we often start to tune smells out, even though they're there and we don't think about them consciously, but they are influencing our mood and, and our right. how we feel about things. And I, I'm guessing that most people listening that if you have a sense of smell, that at some point in your life, you've encountered a smell and all of us all of a sudden you're just memory wise just back mm-hmm. at some previous scene in your life right the smell of walking into a coffee shop or the you know cigars and you're sitting on your grandpa's lap again or something like that right
1: mm-hmm. yes exactly and the the challenge in some cases with Really cultivating that sense and its ability to influence our mood is that we have some social rules around acknowledging smell. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of smells that we're like supposed to pretend are not there, mm-hmm. right? Because it's embarrassing for people or, you know, whatever it is, or you're not supposed to be critical of how somebody's house smells, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And humans
0: are not supposed to have any smell whatsoever. We're supposed to. Be completely smellless. Since,
1: that's right. Yeah. Unless um, it's some goop that you apply to yourself, which has no relation to what a human actually smells
0: like. Something that vaguely smells like a flower from the other side of the world, but maybe not because you've never actually smelled what this flower really smells like. <laughs> but they say on the bottle that that's what it is.
1: That's right. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I have a natural deodorant that I use once in a while when I'm going to be wearing a bunch of layers and it's it's scented with ylang ylang. I have no idea of what ylang ylang actually smells like. <laughs> but there it is, ylang ylang. Mm-hmm. So, I
0: enjoy looking at the the names of like when you when you go through the aisle at the store and like how they will name products because sometimes it's just the name of a flower or something like that and other times they just they just give them these really weird names. Like it's like spicy night out or something. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Yes. Fresh right. garden scent. Yes. Fresh garden. Yeah. Okay. Compost. I have yet to see that one. That would be a good one. Compost <laughs> deodorant. One. Yeah.
1: Compost musk. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah. Anyways, you were saying that they're first of all, acknowledging that the, that these things exist, that they're a part of our right. world.
1: Right. Yeah. So and, you know, I'm not I'm not recommending that people suddenly start violating all the social rules around around scent and smell. I'm just saying that it's helpful to be aware of that so that you can suspend those rules when you're engaging with your practice so that you Mm -hmm. can really let yourself kind of drift away on the associative memories and that the, the, the scents bring up for you.
0: That You can be aware of them and make choices once you're aware of that, those norms, then you can decide. A lot of them are there for perfectly good reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, we're not saying necessarily just throw them all out the window, but you have a choice once you're aware of it. That awareness is the first step.
1: Right, right. In terms of practice, I... Not infrequently use incenses, mm-hmm. and sometimes I don't burn them. Sometimes I just kind of sit them out because they're they smell good without burning. Mm-hmm. I'm particularly fond of the resinous incenses like frankincense and myrrh and dragon's blood. those they smell super sacred to me as soon as that hits my nose they they're just like, "Wow, here I am in the temple." <laughs>
0: frankincense is one that i use in my house on a regular basis
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so your kids may come to associate that with home they may yeah yeah
0: we use a lot of of scents in the house and i change it throughout the year so there's some that that's just like the frankincense. That often feels more like of a fall kind of wintry one to me, but I still use it throughout the year simply because I love it. But we have mm-hmm. a little diffuser that uh. will put the oils in. And then in the winter, we heat with a wood stove. And it since we're such a dry climate, I'll often have a little humidifier on top of the stove. So I've got a little iron kettle that is just for making sure that (laughs) the house isn't so dry that you get nosebleeds from it because really we aren't such a dry climate so i'll Uh usually put some drops of of different oils into that and throughout the year the some it is a conscious choice but there's just certain smells that just they just feel like they fit the season better right Uh Uh and i was i was mentioning to mark before we started recording that here. It's really feeling like autumn is coming a bit early this year, hmm. like it's the end of summer, but most years this would still be the end of summer right now. It feels like the beginning of fall. So I noticed the the choices that I, i'm making in the morning when I'm putting some little oils in they're more they got a little bit more spicy of a you know, I put some clove in the other day and some uh-huh. things like that, and it just it just changes the feel and the mood of the the
1: house. And so it as you're does. saying,
0: I, I think the kids really will grow up with that.
1: Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's something about kind of curating your olfactory experience that is, I mean, here we are, we've got these senses, right. And we can either be just sort of buffeted by the winds of whatever comes along in a literal sense, <laughs> or we can, we can make choices about what we choose to surround ourselves with in the way of of olfactory cues. And what I find is that the, the incenses that I use are so specific. Each one is so specific in its felt sense. I mean, I wanted to say vibe, but I mean, we know what that means, right? The, mm-hmm. That sort of felt emotional sense that comes up when you smell a particular thing that I'm afraid I have a lot of them, and I kind of hoard them. (laughs) I mean, I haven't bought incenses in years, but I have them all in sealed tubes and jars and boxes and things like that. Actually, this brings up a a little story that came up recently. We were having the Thursday night atheopagan Zoom mixer, and I got to telling a story about this one particular incense that I just love, which... I said, was called Five Grandfathers. And it was made by a metaphysical shop in San Francisco called The Sword and the Rose. Mm-hmm. And a person who was on the call typed it in and the shop still exists. Oh, lovely. And, and they, they make, they craft all their own incenses and they do it in the, you know in a ritual way and all this kind of stuff. And they have oils and all that kind of stuff as well. I think it's theswordandtherose.net, I think mm. is their shop. But it turned out it was six grandfathers, not five. I I had just misremembered and the label fell off years ago. But now that I know that I can get more of it, I burned some the other day and it is this incredibly earthy, evocative, really unusual. It has a couple of kinds of pine bark in it and tobacco and just some really unusual things that you don't usually find in incenses. And it it just seems super earthy to me and and very evocative. The story that the man at the shop told me was that his image of it is of the six grandfathers sitting in a kiva. Mm-hmm. And I can just see that image so well when I when I burn this incense. It's so cool. Oh. Mm.
0: That's one I can I'm just imagining what that smell might be right now. Uh-huh.
1: Well, we don't have a have... word
0: for it. picture. we can't I can't picture it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have a word we don't have a word to say that, right? Right? Because when it's a visual scene, I can picture it in my mind. but I can't we need another word for smelling it. I um, wonder
1: I if can... it's possible to learn to imagine scent
0: oh, i I certainly can.
1: can you? Okay. absolutely. yeah, okay. i um I, I just don't know what words to. Okay. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, different people have different relationships to what they can imagine and what they can't. Yeah. I know my father doesn't see things in his mind. Uh Oh, right. We've talked about it, but he doesn't, he doesn't dream in pictures. He doesn't see things, but feel has a very strong physical awareness of how spaces feel. I see. Right. Uh I haven't asked him about whether he can smell things but i can smell and taste things and the sensation of a touch of something right like i can imagine petting a big fluffy dog right now and it's a very strong Mm. sensation Uh right and i can i can smell the smell of the dog's breath, right? Dogs have that very distinctive, they're stinky, but it's like, you still kind of like it anyways. You're like, oh, you're (laughs) such a sweetie, right? Like that happy dog breath, um, Uh right? Like Uh that's just very visceral. And we just, I think our language lacks words to really talk about those sorts of experiences in the same way we can talk about visual things.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I, I really think that's true because what smell evo- evokes in us is a, a felt sense, sort of an atmosphere or a, you know, what some people call an energy or a vibe, right? It's a, it's a
0: body awareness, but yes. it's not body in the sense of, I don't, it's not something I'm experiencing with my hands. It's not something I'm experiencing with my eyes, but there's a it's, there's something much more primal about yes. the experience.
1: Yes. And I, and I agree with you that we don't have good language to describe those kinds of sensations. Mm -hmm. Like, like the feeling of shame, for example, when you're suddenly embarrassed by something, Mm -hmm. there is a very definite felt sense in my chest when that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's a physical sensation. It's not just an emotion. It's a physical sensation in my body, but we don't have words for those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So scent very powerful very useful in rituals for creating a sacred space, you know, and it, and a little goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've been to rituals where there were great fuming braziers of (laughs) incense and it kind of smoked me out and, you know, had to leave early.
0: It can be such a challenge because that's one where people experience it so differently, Mm -hmm. right? What is a small, strong smell to you may not be to somebody else. And what emotional state people are in is going to influence how much they can perceive it or not. We'll talk more about this with taste as well, but taste and smell are very connected when we're a lot around really loud noises and vibrations mm-hmm. that can change how we perceive it, mhm. Right. When, and I'd have to go back and find the original sources on this, but my understanding is that when we are in airplanes with all of the noise and the vibrations, we don't actually taste as well as we do when we're in a calmer setting.
1: That's interesting. And that 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 explains airplane food.
0: Right. (laughs) That if you eat that same (laughs) food on the ground when the engines are off, you will have a very different experience of it than when. I don't know how loud it is in an in a airplane, but it's it's, it's loud. loud. It's, it's loud, really right? Loud. Yeah. Um,
1: And it's kind of amazing that the brain is able to, in many ways, kind of filter that out. It, it resets your baseline. So you're able to have conversations with people and so forth, despite the fact that it, there's this very loud noise going on.
0: I find I get exhausted. I can sleep very easily on airplanes because yeah, it I is just so except if I I have to sit by the window and then I can't not look out the window the whole time. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, it, I do not have the money, nor do I want to spend the fossil fuels to do this, but I would, I would be the person that if those weren't an issue would just buy tickets just to sit and look out the window. And
1: look at the, look at the landscape, yeah. look at the clouds. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking a red eye to Washington DC in a couple of weeks and I'm, I don't sleep well on planes, so I'm really mm. not looking forward to it.
0: Well, maybe I'll have to listen to some good podcast or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. You know of any? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so some you're talking about using sense intentionally in ritual. Right. So, so one thing that we can do with sense, and this applies to any of the other senses as well, is we can purposefully... Associate them with things, mm-hmm. and be our own little Pavlov's dogs. Where if we want to, to invoke a sense of comfort or something like that, we can, when we get into that state, bring out the thing that has that smell. Right, right. Like I'm yeah. thinking, for instance, of like a lavender pillow right? Have you seen those little bags that people Mm -hmm. stuff lavender with? Well, and that's something that you, if you wanted to use that scent, you get into that space, you smell the scent, you think about the scent, and you experience the feeling that you have. And you intentionally do that several times and just reinforce that so that your body, that's just a clue that you use just to do that.
1: I have an example from the annual Hallows ritual that my my ritual circle, Dark Sun, does. Mm-hmm. And I introduced this, but I use it not every year, but sometimes. I got a little vial of cedar oil. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I got cedar was because, for some reason, cedar reminds me of coffins. Mm, it just seems okay. like cedar would be a good material to make a coffin out of. So there's this sort of funereal... Solemn quality, I think, to the scent of cedar oil. Mm-hmm. And we've used it to anoint foreheads and things like that so that that scent is kind of around during the ritual. And it's powerful. It's very powerful. I don't use it for anything else. Mm. It sits on my ancestor and underworld altar uh, for the rest of the year. Um, looking at it right now. Um,
0: Cedar's one that I tend to use around this time of year. Is it? Right. It is one that I I associate with a late summer, early fall kind of. And then as we get into the winter, I'll definitely switch more into some of the piney, sappy
1: kind of yeah. smells. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, And maybe this is a good place to transition into taste mm-hmm. because taste and smell, as you say, are are very deeply related with one another. I can imagine tastes. Interesting. So, and considering the taste is other than the, you know, the what, six, seven types of taste buds that we have, all the rest of it is olfactory. So maybe I'm just, I need to practice imagining mm. smells. Well, um,
0: what if you start with a really strong one, like walking into a coffee shop that roasts its own beans? I can you just,
1: s- I just imagined a smell, ammonia.
0: Ammonia. Oh, that's it. Yep.
1: Yep. That
0: You say that and I've got, oh, right there. Yep, there
1: it is. Okay. I can even
0: feel the part of, of my nose where it is, right? Where you it know, burns. You could, where it burns. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. So I can't imagine sense. I'm just not very practiced at it. Okay, that's good to know. So taste, I have used taste in rituals where in order as kind of a part of induction into the ritual state, into trance, that very present flow mm-hmm. state that is, you know, what we seek to create in in ritual space. Mm-hmm. I've used cues like a single dark chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, you put the chocolate chip on the tongue of each participant because there's there's a way that 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 flavor, it kind of floods your sensorium with this deliciousness. And it's kind of a full body experience. It mm-hmm. it pulls you into into being in 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 your body rather than thinking about other abstract things. Right. Reminds um, me of
0: communion when you say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I think that's probably some of what's going on with that, that little sip of wine, right? Right.
1: I've used sips of wine as well. Now under COVID, it's not so convenient because you're not gonna have a single chalice that you can to, yeah. You can just kind of wipe the lip and and move on. But it could still be done. You could have a tray mm-hmm. of, you know, little little cups of wine and
0: Well and that's uh, you know, depending on Different churches have done different things, but ones that I have visited, I've seen they have, like the basically the little shot glasses. Mm-hmm. That there's just a little sip for each person, right? And then they have mm-hmm. like the little wafer. In fact, I I visited one once in which the wafers came pre-packaged in their own little like plastic, like uh. thinking of like it would be. So, I it sort of looked like the thing that like the flight attendant would give you on the plane. Like, oh. like one of those little cookies. Of course, wow. that's somewhat wasteful, but it's, it was, I found it it's quite safer. charming, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's a good uh-huh. solution. And this was even yeah. pre, pre-COVID, pre like, okay, oh. yeah. So, but that's something that humans, I bring up communion because it's, we've been perfecting this ritual thing for yes. millennia, right? Yes.
1: Um, yes. There, there is nothing in a traditional Catholic mass service that isn't carefully calculated to create a particular mood, a particular set of emotions, a particular worldview. I mean, it's all very carefully curated. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I, I find, you know, cathedral architecture and Gregorian chant and, you know, ritual music and the, the temple incense that they use. And I mean, all that stuff is just, Really amazing as a kind of sensory experience. I I don't care for the theology.
0: <laughs> I don't like. I don't particularly care for the theology or the message. But I I I really do enjoy mass. Mm-hmm. That you know that's something my our father taught us when we were little. Like how to. You know, he's raised Catholic and obviously did not raise us Catholic, but mm-hmm. taught us how to go through the movements and everything so that we could experience it. Mm. And I just loved the whole ritual of all of it. And the, you know, the kneeling as you go in and the water and the pre like all of this stuff is just, it's so yeah. effective.
1: It It is super effective. And um, that's why I referenced some of those things in the Athiopagan ritual primer. And in my book, uh, my first book, um, the Athiopaganism book, Um, because, because we've been doing these ritual things, you know, for tens of thousands of years, and we've learned a lot and Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, these, these techniques, you know, we're not inventing them now. Um, they've, they've been used for a very long time. We're repurposing many of them to create modern pagan rituals. Mm -hmm. And And
0: they were repurposed before us too. Absolutely. Yeah. They Absolutely. came from other sources as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. So taste, it is traditional in many pagan denominations, I guess I'd call them, or paths, that cakes and ale is a a segment of the, the ritual that takes place after the main working of the ritual in the structure that I've proposed, which is arrival, invocation of qualities, deep working or deep play or working. Gratitude mm-hmm. and then benediction, the cakes and ale or sharing a ritual meal piece happens during the gratitude phase mm-hmm. because we're grateful to eat and it makes our bodies happy to put food into them. Right. So that that's another thing where, you know, you pass bread or cookies or in some cases meat, depending on who's doing it and what time of year and all that kind of stuff. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Outside of a formal ritual, something that I like to do when I go, well, in my own land, when I'm just hanging out and being like, hey, friend tree, Um, but when I go somewhere that, like on an adventure with the kids, a couple months back, we went into the Carlsbad Caverns and, um, Mm -hmm. and things like that, is to actually taste the air Now that's again mixing in with the smell as well, but there Mm -hmm. is a very places have really distinctive tastes. And you can take a deep breath in. Kind of it it makes me imagine like the wine tasters. And it's kind of the same way that you might taste the wine in your mouth and like move it around and all of that. You can do that with the air and taste it the back of your on your tongue in the back of your throat and every place is very different, Hmm. right? It's a little, it's subtle, right? Because it's not the same as like putting a chocolate chip on your tongue, but but the taste of a city and different cities have different tastes, right? And I'm not Hmm. talking about putting things literally in your mouth other than the air. Uh Um, In some places that might be perfectly safe, right? Um, If you're in the middle of a forest and you want to taste a pine needle, that's probably fine. Other places you might not want to pick up a rock and taste it because it's yes. got diesel on it or something like right. that but right. um but it experiencing the environments that we're in on a consciously choosing to experience them on a level that isn't just sight i think can really help us actually i did a video on the youtube channel about that a couple of weeks back oh
1: go um, check that out
0: but yeah that's there so i think that that really helps to connect with the places where we are and slow down a bit mm-hmm. right because the more that we're experiencing things the more new and novel things the slower the time becomes right. your awareness of right. that so I, a lot of this talk about how when we were little it seemed like that our childhoods took up so much more time in our lives and now the older we get just the faster and faster time goes but i've found that this is something i've been working very consciously on is trying to slow that down hmm. and going i can't actually significant like i don't really get to choose how many years i actually get to be alive for i can you know make certain choices that will help me to live longer but mm-hmm. you know i could be in a car accident tomorrow but what i can do is i can experience the moments that i have more deeply and yes. doing things like pausing and tasting the air or really smelling the environment around you, I have found really helps to get back a little bit of that stretched out time the way it felt when I was a
1: child. Uh-huh. huh Yeah, I can really see that. Yeah. And that brings us to touch, mm-hmm. which is... Kind of an entirely different thing. And I I think the reason it's a different thing is that when we breathe in a scent or we taste something, we do not yet consider it to be a part of ourselves. It's something that's in the process of becoming part of ourselves by being breathed in or by being ingested. Mm -hmm. But it's not us yet. Whereas touch is very intimate. Because it's engaging with our skin, which is us. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I mean, when, we, when we're when we smelling something or we're tasting something, it's it literally is going into our bodies.
1: I know, but we right? don't think but of it that way.
0: Yeah. Like with smell, it's almost like a lock and key thing happening. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, there's something different with the touch that like i think it's it's tapping into something a little bit more like a different kind of instinctual reaction because the touch Mm -hmm. is first of all there's a lot of different touch but some of it is there so that we know like get away don't get eaten so going back to when we were Way way pre pre mammal ancestors, we were just these tiny little worm things. We bump into something. Up, don't get eaten by that. Go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah, a different so, relation. So I I think I see what you're saying
1: with that. Like there's a different... well, there's a question of safety. The immediacy yeah. of touch raises the question of safety. Yeah. You know, am, am I am I safe being in contact with this whatever it is? We. There are ways that things that you breathe or things that you ingest can harm you, but they, they're more the exception than the rule. We, you know, we eat every day, we breathe all the time. We kind of assume that what we're doing in those regards is, is going to be okay for us.
0: Right. And then, I mean, taste is there partly to let us know, oh, spit that out. That's poisonous. Yeah, Don't eat that. Yeah. But then we spit it, it out it, and it's, it's out. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah but yeah the safety and safety in both ways like are we not safe and are we safe right because again going back to that mammal side when we're when we're born we we cling to our parents right we hold on mm-hmm. to the other animals because we're a social we're a social animal and we're right. held by and we don't want to be put down right we'll, Right. we'll make that pretty clear.
1: <laughs> when people have a traumatic experience, very frequently what's done by emergency personnel is to put a blanket around them. And it's not right. because Rap. they're cold. It's because the blanket provides a feeling of safety. Right. The, the, the tactile experience of having the back of your neck covered and, you know, all of that is it. And I, I've actually done this in ritual circles where if somebody was having a really hard time, they were you know, going through an experience because the the ritual had brought things up for them. I've I've actually brought people a blanket and put it around them for, for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of difference. So these... I have a me-
0: weighted blanket that is just amazing for that.
1: Yeah. My partner, Nemea, has a weighted blanket too, and she loves it. Another
0: uh, one, this is a little bit more, more extreme than a blanket, but it's a squish box. You ever feel like you really, really just you just really need to climb into a hole? You can mm-hmm. make a box that is big enough for you to get in. So maybe you could also do this with a bathtub if you happen to have it, and just fill it with blankets or you know pillows and things like that. And you just get in it between all of those that stuff, and you just feel squished and and safe and surrounded. Because sometimes when you feel like I want to be in a hole. Being in the hole is the best thing that you can do for that (laughs) feeling. So probably you don't actually have a literal hole, so you can just make one, right? And it's amazing.
1: And I've seen memes. I mean, both of us are neurodivergent, obviously, in different ways, because everybody's different. Mm -hmm. But I've seen memes from particularly people on the spectrum, where that sort of being crushed feeling is very comforting, Mm-hmm. It, it's like it keeps you from flying apart in, mm-hmm. in some That's, way yeah. and so you know just kind of a bear hug from a trusted person can give a similar sort of you know squash me until i'm safe sort of feeling
0: yeah oh i, le- I just love that name bear hug too it just makes me think of that was something that i remember as being a little kid as i would ask for the bear hug i want the bear hug and they go give the growl and the big Uh hug and with the you know the big arms of the parents so yeah those things those never to get talking about how short it's amazing how short our childhoods are but how that never leaves us Right, right. Even though yeah. a lot of times we don't, we don't remember most of our lives, right? We cannot remember most of our childhoods, let alone our adult lives, and yet it influences right. us so much.
1: Yes, yeah. So many of the associative memories we were, that we were talking about with scent and so forth, so many associative memories that pop into your mind at a random time are from your childhood. Yeah, they're just that's that's when all this baseline stuff was being laid down and. We go back to it over and over again. Yeah. So so yeah, touch and I have used textured things in ritual, like fur, mm-hmm. or even things like steel wool, mm. or uh, like a pet brush. You know that wire, the 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 sharp yeah. wire pet brush. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things. You know, if you very gently brush it along the skin, or if they brush their fingers along it, all of those are are ways of once again you know pulling someone into being in their body and being in immediacy and presence rather and than the pastor.
0: temperature as well yes temperature is a big one and you can go either direction with that and there's some simple things that you can use like like those little heat pad those hand warmers mm-hmm. but there's also the ones you can get the little cold packs That they're about the same size therefore if you know somebody hurt their ankle or something like that but which by the way i carry those whenever hiking because if somebody is getting overheated you can open up one of those packs and have them put it underneath their armpit or between their legs and that really helps to start to cool them down faster Mm -hmm. same thing in this in the winter do that with the with the heat pack Uh um but that's something that you could do in a ritual space as well.
1: Yes. Yes. All of this stuff. um, I I mean, you you know, who really specializes in this stuff, who's really, really good at it is the BDSM community. Right. All of this is called sensation play. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they have, they've got feathers and they've got horse whips and they've got, (laughs) everything in between. They've got thuddy things and they've got stingy things and they've got gentle things and and they've got cold things and they've got hot things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this is all, you know, something that they really narrow in on, you know, dialing in exactly what works for people in, in all those circumstances. And people that are on the receiving end of that are also exploring, okay, that works for me. Okay. That doesn't, Mm-hmm. you know, this evokes a particular emotion in me. So it's all, it's very interesting stuff.
0: Mm, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, so that could be a really good resource and it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual experience. Right. 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 So that may be the focus in that particular community, but the knowledge could be applied to to any sort of sensation that you're that you're intentionally invoking
1: exactly exactly so yeah because there are multiple axes of that that community explores there are things around power there are things around shame there are things around physical sensation there as i say there are these multiple axes Mm -hmm. um, that people will explore with one another and that's all great but what we're talking about right now is the sensation piece the touch piece right and yeah, so, I mean, w- welcoming a blindfolded person into the ritual circle with a soft caress of a feather on the side of their face—you mm-hmm. know, you you just, particularly if if they're blindfolded so that they're not depending on visual cues for everything—there's mm-hmm. a way that that can really make the body's senses come alive. And then you have powerful experiences of these other sensations that are providing.
0: And so mentioning the blindfold, sometimes just closing your eyes or having a blindfold is enough to get you to shift to thinking about and paying it to paying attention to the other senses because they're there, mm -hmm. but it's whether we're really engaging with them or not. Right. And then learning to use them. Like you, Just a couple minutes ago, with the imagining it, when you said, Oh, yeah, I can imagine the smell. Mm -hmm. I just have to practice it. I think that it applies to all these other things, right? We, most of us can physically smell. It's just, do we practice noticing that? Right. And refining that. Most of us do have a sense of touch. So, How much attention are we paying to it? How much are we not? Uh uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And, and so I, I guess kind of moving towards a summation of all this, this, you know, the, the senses are kind of a playground and they they are very influential over what our psychological state is. And we as practitioners of paths that, deliberately work to affect our psychological state in ways that benefit us and that enable us to have, you know, experiences, really, you know, need to look at that. We, we need to be aware of all the different ways that that our senses can be helpful for us, particularly those that we don't tend to pay as much attention to, like, like scent and mm-hmm. and taste and touch. Right. Well, this has been super interesting again. Thank you for for a great conversation. Yeah, this was a good idea. I'm I'm glad we did this.
0: Yeah, thank you. And thanks everyone for hanging out with us and listening. And we really appreciate you being here with us.
1: We sure do. So we'll
0: see you next week.